Listener discretion is advised for anyone under the age of 16. Most of the topics that we talk about on Impractical Info, you know, help you in weird social situations where you're not exactly sure what to talk about, but you need something. Uh, Today's topic is a little bit different. Now, imagine you're sitting on a park bench and you just had a really hectic day at work. You know, it's a beautiful day. The sun is shining. The birds are chirping. And then somebody comes and sits next to you. And the last thing you want to do is end up in a conversation. So today's topic is probably like the anti-conversation. Chances are you could probably just even start the topic and the person will stop wanting to talk to you. That is unless they're true crime fans in which case you're stuck. But today we're going to be talking about John Wayne Gacy, aka the killer clown. He was considered a stand-up guy in his community, but later was caught with more than 30 bodies of boys and young men in a crawl space under his house. And as it turns out, he tortured and slaughtered all of them. We're not getting into the nitty-gritty of what happened to these victims. We're just going to kind of talk a little bit about his MO and give you some sort of insight into his mind and what he might have been thinking, um, and what his psychological assessment said. Because I think that that's the part that's less covered, and it's more interesting, in my opinion. So, let's jump in. Okay, so John Wayne Gacy, aka the Killer Clown, was a contractor, and he would hire young male teens to work for him. Normally, he would hire young guys who were small in stature and had light-colored hair. It was even questioned why he wouldn't hire experienced contractors to do that type of work, and he would make claims that he wanted to help people break into the business, teach them the skills, and that he would want to be almost like their father. Super creepy. So he would invite these boys back to his house to play pool and drink. His house was considered like a totally normal house in a suburb, and he had the basement fixed up with like a built-in bar and a pool table. Um, One story that gives some insight into how he manipulated situations and got close enough to his victims comes from one of the guys who was in a documentary I watched. So him and some friends were at Gacy's house and they start playing pool and then Gacy asks if the boys they want to play for money. So they start playing a $1 game. Then Gacy, in the midst of all of this, starts showing off that he has all these connections in Chicago, personal friends with the mayor and police chief. His friends thought that he should stay the night and then drive up the next day to meet them for a party. And then Gacy basically starts to change things up when the other friends leave um, and proposes that they up the stakes of the pool game. So if Gacy wins, this young guy has to perform a sex act on him. And if he wins, uh, he has to commit a sex act on Gacy. This guy says, not a chance. And Gacy says, have you seen a stag film? Want to see one? Then he pulls up a screen and a projector and leaves the room. And then not even five minutes later, the lights turn on and the guy hears a click behind him and turns around and see a gun pointed at his head. The guy starts crying and begging to Gacy, like, don't do this. Don't do this. Gacy laughs and then starts talking about how he likes to put a lot of psychological pressure to see what their reactions would be, that he was just analyzing him the whole time. So this guy's guard goes down thinking like, oh, I guess I'm safe. Like, even if Gacy's weird, like, I guess it's okay. Gacy says that they should go to bed. First thing in the morning, they'll head out. He can't sleep. Then he feels this hand on his thigh. And Gacy is sitting at the side of his bed and he could see his face from the light of the window. Gacy had a knife pushing to the guy's throat and rubbing his leg at the same time. Told him, we're going to finish what we started in the basement. 
So this guy starts crying and begging, and pretty soon Gacy lets the pressure off the knife and starts laughing again. Then he says he's frustrated because he couldn't break him. So the guy stayed up the rest of the night, obviously, 6.30 in the morning. They start driving. Gacy threatens, all I have to do is make one phone call to Chicago if you tell anyone about this. Someone will come to kill you. I just sort of want to bring up on a side note here, it's not uncommon when we look at these cases of grooming or, I mean, with serial killers and things that make people feel safe. And part of that is also the fear of telling anybody else what has happened if the perpetrator was unsuccessful. One of those things is manipulation and intimidation. So Gacy keeps bringing up that he has people in Chicago people high up if you tell anybody about this then we're gonna have a problem and I also want to keep in mind too that Gacy was doing this a man Gacy was doing this to young boys and especially at this time being homosexual was something that was not necessarily taken seriously uh, nor was it considered to be you know just a sexual preference it was often considered to be some kind of mental illness in a lot of places it was still illegal a lot of these young guys would not necessarily have even gone to the police um, because they figured that they wouldn't be believed or it was too embarrassing for them in terms of like socially to admit that something like this had taken place this brings us to sexuality i think that's something that often isn't discussed when you're talking about about John Wayne Gacy is not just what his sexuality was, because I think that that's less interesting as to what his views on sexuality were. So Gacy was married to a woman when all of this began, but his sexuality is something even his wife questioned as a result of the way he'd behave. There are stories about how he had a garage or like a shed type thing outside of the house they shared, and he would never let her go in there, but she would always see him taking young boys there with him. Later, they did divorce. In interviews with Gacy, he says that he believes there are three types of sexuality, and again, Again, these are his definitions, not my own. Gacy says that heterosexual is someone who loves another person of the opposite sex. A homosexual is someone who loves another person of the same sex, and bisexual is someone who has sex for the sake of it, no feelings involved, and doesn't care if it's a man or a woman. He doesn't feel that any of these can apply to him, but says that he never had a homosexual relationship because he had intercourse, but no lovemaking, no feelings, there was no love. At this time, like I said before, most people didn't believe gay men or care if they came to the police to say something had happened, especially with someone like Gacy because he was well-known and well-liked in his community. It's kind of like when they talk about the less dead, which are like groups of marginalized individuals who people don't really care about. And when things happen to them, like crimes take place, whether it's murder or sexual assault, often these groups are ignored or not taken as seriously. And I also do think it's really interesting. Uh, and when we get into a little bit about Gacy's personality, his sort of denial or maybe lack of clarity about his sexuality could have a lot to do with what we see in his psyche eval later. So I know I said that he was well-known and well-liked. What I need to sort of go back on here is say that he was well-known, not necessarily well-liked, but he was like relatively respected in his community. I wouldn't say that he was a pillar of his community, but he was definitely somebody who was quite active. He was generally described as having a very big ego, being full of crap and exaggerating his importance. Uh, some said he was arrogant or dismissive. He would talk about how great he was or how rich he was every chance he was given. And even though he may have seemed personable and friendly to some when they met him, there was an overwhelming feeling that he was unremarkable. 
this whole idea of having this ego and and liking to exaggerate his importance might also feed into why he liked to spend time with maybe younger men versus men his own age. Part of it could be just like a power dynamic in terms of maybe physical strength, but it also probably has a lot to do with where, you know, younger people tend to be more impressed with like older people who are wiser and have more money maybe or have more experience. And so it could have been another way that he was using to sort of manipulate them by offering things like a place to hang out, alcohol, and you know, things that most teenagers have a hard time getting their hands on. He also took no responsibility for what he did. For example, he got charged with pedophilia and was indicted for sodomy because of an incident with a minor, and then he was given a psychological evaluation, and terms came up like psychopathic, antisocial personality, that he would twist the truth, he was a smooth talker, an obscure, there was total denial of responsibility and blames other people. And this is a really interesting point about John Wayne Gacy, is that it's as though he believes that he was the victim rather than the perpetrator. And again, I don't know if this is as a result of being unable to admit that he had homosexual tendencies. I don't know if this has to do with the fact that like he didn't want to seem guilty in the eyes of the law, or if this is something that he genuinely believed and was sort of twisting things around in his favor, because that's really what he believed. Okay, so what got him caught in the end, it was the search for Robert Peast, which was another missing young man. It didn't help that Gacy had done time for sodomy in Iowa previously. It was the combination of his past offense and then the fact that Peace had worked in his construction company that led detectives to his house. By 1978, once they started investigating, they found out that there's quite a few kids that used to work for Gacy who had disappeared. Gacy obviously denies that he knows anything about their disappearances. They start connecting the dots that Gacy is somehow in connection with at least four or five of these missing, you know, young men and boys. Cops at this point were tailing him, watching his every move, but they weren't like stealthy about it, he knew he was being followed. Based on his personality assessment and his psychological assessment that we've already sort of discussed, you can already imagine how cocky he must have been, you know, saying it was a nuisance, but then probably enjoying the intention at the same time. One day, a couple of detectives are outside his house, he invited them in for a coffee, and it was when one of the detectives went to the toilet and suddenly the heat came on in the house and he could smell something. And in one of the documentaries, they said something along the lines of, like, if this detective said it was the smell of decomposition, you believe him. He was a very seasoned detective. And then this is what led to the search of the house and eventually the crawl space where they discovered fragments of bodies at various points of decomposition. Uh, at first they thought maybe they had found, you know, one body, two bodies, and then they started realizing that the pieces that they were finding were not of the same body and that they had to keep going. So again, this might not be a topic that you want to bring up unless you have friends who are super into true crime, but I do think that it's uh, pretty interesting because often when we hear about serial killers or true crime cases, it really highlights, you know, the horrible crimes that took place or there's a lot of discussion about the victims and what happened to the victims. And in my opinion, I think that like the psychology of it all is probably the most interesting. So we can see that he was very manipulative. We can see that he was very much in denial more than just about his crimes. He was in denial of a lot of things in terms of his life and lifestyle, but he also liked to big himself up. Whether or not this is going to keep the person beside you on the bench in the park mm, occupied or keep them from continuing to sit next to you, best of luck, just give it a go. 
We'll see what happens. As usual, patreon.com slash impractical info. You can become a patron. You can leave comments. Let me know if there's anything I didn't add in today that you also think is really interesting about his psychology. Maybe there's something new you learned. Uh, Maybe you have ideas of some other topic you'd want me to cover. We do a big mix, so it's not just true crime. We do a lot of like history. It could be anything from a random object to, uh, I don't know, to some kind of philosophy. Uh, We cover pretty much any piece of useless information that you can, or in this case, cannot uh, bring up to maybe make friends or to get rid of friends, depending on your mood that day. You can also email me at impracticalinfopod at gmail.com. See ya. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.